you would grow up to be a Psalm 1 young man. For you young women in your teenage years, I have a vision that you will grow to be a woman described as a Psalm 1 woman. For you around my age, which is older than Jesus was when he died on the cross, mid-30s, approaching 40, not that young, but younger than some of you. You, around my age, you, young man like myself, I have a vision that you will be a Psalm 1 man in your home and with your kids and with your wife. For you, young women around my age, raising kids, I have a vision that you will be a Psalm 1 woman as you raise your kids and love your husbands. For those of you older than me, more advanced in the kingdom, those higher in age, I have a vision that you, you older man, that you will be a Psalm 1 man as you finish these years in your life loving your family and your friends and your community. And for you older women, I have a vision that you will be a Psalm 1 woman as you finish these years in your life, as you love your family and your friends and your community. I have a vision that we will be a church described by Psalm 1. And if we can be a church that reflects Psalm 1 that we have a lot of good things ahead of us. But if we try to pursue all the fruit and all the prosperity without the foundation, everything else will wither. Last week, we read Psalm 1. And from Psalm 1, we highlighted verse 3. And we talked about how God wants to change us from the inside out, from the bottom up. So that means a foundation, a strong foundation has to be laid that God actually wants to change your character, who you are. Because from who you are is what you do. And often we get those things backwards. So we want to be a certain kind of people, a Psalm 1 people, and then from there grows all the things that we do. So this morning we're going to read Psalm 1 again. Then we're going to focus in on two more verses And we're going to find a lesson there in those two verses. So come along with me, Psalm 1. We're going to put it on the screen, Psalm 1. Blessed is the one. Blessed, that's happy. That means a happy life. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Well, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season. And whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous, for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. But the way of the wicked leads to destruction. This morning we want to take on verses 3 and 4, asking the question, where are you planted? Where are you planted? 
Look at, look at verse 3 and 4. I've got some, high, uh, some underlining here just to draw our attention. But verse 3 and 4, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water. Then dropping into verse 4, not so the wicked. That is, the wicked aren't going to prosper. They are like shaft that the wind blows away. Where are you planted? Now here, the Psalm 1 person, that Psalm 1 man or woman, is planted by streams of water. Now a tree that's planted by water is always going to be producing fruit. Here, that water represents water in abundance. Water that is free-flowing. That tree has everything it needs all the time. Therefore, it never withers. Streams of water. Now, that's literal. I mean, like, a tree actually needs real water to grow. But throughout the scriptures, we see that water actually represents, it's a symbol for life. It represents life. And so we often will see water used as a symbol to describe life that people can have in God. So I just want to take a couple of psalms to pull that out. So we're going to look one at Psalm 23. Many of you know this so well. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. And when you get beside quiet waters, waters always available, guess what happens? First part of verse 3, that's the 3A. The A is the first part of the verse. You know what happens when you get beside quiet waters? Water's always available. He refreshes your soul. Some translations say he restores the soul. That's what happens when you get beside abundant waters. Then Psalm 36. Psalm 36, verses 7 through 9 Look at how David pulls out the symbolism of water. Here's what he says. He writes this, How priceless is your unfailing love, O God. If people take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast, love that word, they feast on the abundance of your house. So there's abundance. You give them drink. And where is that drink coming from? From your river of delights. For with you is the fountain of life. And in your light we see light. This is not a picture of a boring God. This is not a picture of a God who wants you to live in suffering all your days. This is a God who one day will give abundance, delights, and a fountain of life. That's the kind of God I want to follow, by the way. And I'm glad that's the kind of God that created me and you. Therefore, from here, we can draw a conclusion that if you want a happy life, a good life, you're going to have to somehow find that fountain of life. There's a lot of talk about finding fountains of youth, fountains that never go dry. It just so happens that the scriptures talk about God being the source of that life. Now, the question that emerges from all of this is where in the world do you find those streams? We won't go find those. But the other side, the other side of the picture is a land where there is no water. You see, if you're planted by streams of water, you have abundant life. The other side is you're planted where there is no water. You plant yourself where there's no water, you're going to shrivel up. You're going to wither. Now, we all understand how that works with plant life. If you're farming a big field of cotton and you get no rain, you don't have income for your family. I'm guessing. 
I'm guessing, hypothetically. That might be uh, what happens when you don't get rain for your field. Or if you are trying to grow that rose bush out in the front yard, and your son, who's supposed to water the rose bush, never ro- waters the rose bush, you may not have a rose bush. We understand how this works with plant life. The same works with the human soul. That is, if you were created by God and he breathed life in you and he gave you life, if that's how you were created, then that means that you have to get your life from the one who created you. So it would only make sense. This is not super religious. This just makes sense. If you are disconnected from the one who gave you life, then you will wither. You'll be like a plant in the desert. And we typically would call those kind of plants and those kind of souls cursed. That's not a good life. Now, it just so happens I just read the Bible, and I pulled all of that from Jeremiah 17. I often will do that with you. I'll know the text that's coming forward. I'll just rephrase it, and then I'll read it, and you'll think I was profound. But here we go, Jeremiah 17. This is where it comes from. This is God speaking through Jeremiah. It should be verses 5 through 6. That's my mistake. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. You want to know what that person's like? That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. You typically would look at that and say, how dare the Bible call this person cursed? I want to know what's a better word when you have a shriveled life, disconnected, planted where there's no water. Where you are planted makes all the difference for what life looks like in your kitchen and in your living room and when you go to work. Makes all the difference where you are planted. So the question that I want to raise from this is this question. Let's put that question up there. Is how, it's this next question, how do we become the kind of people who are planted by streams of water? That's the question that emerges for me. How in the world do you become that kind of person? who has a happy life planted by streams of water. How do you do that? The answer is Jesus. Now, I know that as the preacher, you expected me to say Jesus. We'd have a problem if I said someone else besides Jesus. And typically, people think I come into a church and the answer is always going to be Jesus. And that's the cliche. But it just so happens that Jesus is the answer. That is... When he came to earth, word in flesh, and he's walking among people, imagine Jesus among us bringing a teaching. He started to talk about things that had to do with the source of life. And he said some really crazy things, particularly if you take them literally. But let's just take a journey through some of the things Jesus said that would draw us to an answer that Jesus is is the soil. He is the one we have to go to to be planted by streams of water. Let's take a look at how in the world we get there. Here's a passage, John 4, 17 through 13. He's talking with a woman at a well. This woman is of a different nationality. There's a lot of prejudice involved in the story. But I want to pull out of the story here some lines from Jesus, part of this conversation. 
Jesus says, so, that, so here in verse 7, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, they're at a well, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Now the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would ask him and he would have given you living water. If you find anyone in our day responding like that, you'd call them crazy. You'd have them committed to see how in the world they got to a point they thought they could give living water, water that doesn't run out. If you thought that's bad, take a look at what he says next. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. Where can you give this living water? And then Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. I imagine he's pointing at the well. If you drink this water, you're going to stay thirsty. But verse 14, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. I want that kind of life. I want the kind of life where wherever I'm planted, I actually am overflowing with life, giving it to others. So Jesus says, I'll give you water that will that will satisfy every part of your soul. You never go thirsty. That's crazy. I don't know if you've ever heard a preacher call Jesus crazy. That's crazy. Unless you can actually do it. Take a look here. Jesus just doesn't use water. In John chapter 6, he uses a different image to describe the same principle. Jesus said to them, he's talking to a group of people, very truly I tell you, it's not Mo- it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always said, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. That sounds like a promise you might get from a politician. You vote for me, I'll give you this, you'll be good forever and ever. But here Jesus makes the claim that if you eat my bread, if you eat me, you're going to be a happy person. Things will be good for you. That's a crazy promise, unless you can deliver on it. Now, what happens for me when I read those two passages is I wonder how you do that. Because you can't literally eat Jesus. I mean, you can't get his forearm in your mouth and start gnawing on his flesh. And I don't think that's what Jesus means here. You see, Jesus is drawing us to something we know intuitively. And that is Jesus is calling us into a relationship with him. This is the way I want to say this. Jesus Christ is a person and we enter his life by being in relationship with him. Now that still sounds a bit religious. Take that into your life. And I mean the life you have with your friends, your brothers, your sisters, your parents, your aunts and uncles. Take that principle into your life. Here's the way it begins to look then. Here's the way I want to say this. Let's take the next slide here. Being in relationship is how life is transferred between people. You know how I know this? Because it's why we describe friendship with this phrase. 
sharing life together. You know that best friend you have? You may have at some point described that relationship as sharing life with one another. But you're literally not taking blood and giving it to them. You're not giving them your pinky and asking them to gnaw on it. Now, you may have a weird relationship, but I'm saying in general, we don't do that. The way we share life with one another, the way we transfer energy and power between one another is by being in relationship. And when relationships work, life works. Why is that? It's because life is transferred through relationships. Some of you are teachers. I can tell you the way your day is going to look at the end of the day, depending on what student you had in the classroom that day. If that student, and you know which student I'm talking about, if that student wasn't in class that day, you may have had a good day. Because life gets transferred through relationships, and when relationships don't work, life doesn't work. So when Jesus talks about giving living water, when he talks about being bread that satisfies, he's drawing on a principle we all know, and that is he is offering himself. He's offering a relationship. And when relationships work, life works. I'm going to say this last thing here to pull us to our next passage. This is how I'd like to summarize all of this to this next slide. This was the next slide. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Remember, the perfect pastor is just a few blocks over, really. We drink and eat Jesus by being in a relationship with him and remaining with him. And if we don't remain with him, we will wither and die. That's not a statement of judgment. That's simply a reality. Let's take a look at what Jesus has to say. I would say everything we've said up to this point draws us to John 15, verse 1 through 8. Let's take a look and then move to some application. Jesus says this, I am the true vine. A lot of vines out there, a lot of vines, true vine. He says, I'm the true vine. And my father, well, he's the gardener, and he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Now remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And we got a million ways of trying to bear fruit without remaining in Jesus. And all of them are found wanting. He continues, verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches, they're picked up, they're thrown into the fire, they're burned. Sounds a lot like chaff that the wind blows away. That's what happens to chaff with no root that's dead. Same thing happens with branches that have fallen off the tree. Verse 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. We want a lot of fruit in life, but you got one way to get it. That is by being in relationship with Jesus, because that's where life is transferred to you.
And since he created you with his breath, he understands how your life works. So let's come to this parting word in our study of the scripture and then get to some application. Here's, here's a f- summary statement. If we want to be Psalm 1 people, we have to be planted in a relationship with Jesus. If you're not planted there, we will be like shaft that the wind blows away. So taking, taking all of this to some application, how in the world does all of that apply to your life? As a teacher, a retiree, a grandma, a young parent, we have this question we have to ask then. Here's, here's the, are you moving towards Jesus or away from him? I want you to think in terms of movement. I want you to think in terms of proximity. Are you moving towards Jesus or away from him? So we're going to have four options here. Now in your program, you have all four options in front of you. If you want to keep the suspense, don't look at that piece of paper yet. I'll walk you through it. Here we go. This is, a, this is one option. That circle there represents being born again. It's where the Holy Spirit moves in, where you know Christ. It's where you are saved. There's a lot of other ways of talking about this. But it's where you Find new life in Christ. Some of you, some of you, you are not only outside of the grace of Jesus, you are running from him. You're getting as far away from Jesus as you can. I understand you're in this church building, but people come to church buildings for a number of reasons. You feel guilty, obligated, your parents wanted you to, this is just the thing you do. Many reasons people come and sit in these pews and in church buildings across the town. But there are some of you that want nothing to do with Jesus and you know nothing of his grace. And I'm not sure you're still tuned in at this point. I don't know who you are, but typically in a crowd this size, somebody's running from Jesus. Don't just think of yourself stagnant. This is relationship, and you're probably running away from him. Now, some of you do not yet know the grace of Christ. You don't yet know what it means to have your sins forgiven, to not be weighted with the guilt of your own darkness and selfishness. But you like this idea You're wondering about who this Jesus is, and you'd really like to have a happy life. And you're starting to move towards Jesus. This is the next image for us. Some of you are not yet saved, but you're running to Jesus. You're wondering who he is and what all this talk of grace is about. There are some of you in this room right now that are interested in this Jesus. Who's this dude? if you're okay with me calling Jesus a dude for a minute? Who's this dude that talks about giving water that never runs dry, giving bread that always satisfies? Who's this guy that said, I can always have fruit in life if I will be his friend? That's typically how people think about Jesus before they come into the majesty of his grace. Some of you are that person. Let's go to the next one. I imagine there are many of you who have had your sins forgiven, you are saved, you are born again, and your life continues to move towards Jesus. 
and you are in hot pursuit of him. Now, I get it. This week, you yelled at your kids a little too sharply. I didn't say all the time, just those off, those, those off moments there. Some of you, are, you lacked patience this week. Some of you gossiped a little bit. And some of you knew you were better than your coworker, and you decided to tell a few people about it. I'm not judging nobody here, okay? But I am talking to you. If you think I'm talking to you, I'm always talking to you, okay? But, you're, but in the end, but in the end, you're moving towards Jesus. And you actually want him. That's, that image describes many of you. And then this one. This one, this one might start to hit your toes. Some of you felt real comfortable when you got saved. And you were born again. But if you took an honest assessment of your life, you're moving away from Jesus. And Jesus will let you run away from him. He will be there to woo you, but he will not drag you with a chain. Take an honest assessment of your life. Which direction are you going? I know we can talk a lot about if you're saved or not saved. I'm more interested in which direction you're going. Because if you're running from Jesus, there's a desert on the other end of that circle. And it will end in death. That's not God being mean. That's just reality. Like a rose bush dying because it doesn't have water. So here's our next step this morning. Here's our next step. Here's the question. Here's what I'd like us to do. Read Psalm 1, 3 through 4. Find it on your smartphone. Find it on a Bible. Take a Bible from the pew home. For, for, for all I care, I do care. You get what I'm saying. Didn't mean that to be flippant. Take a Bible if you need to. Psalm 1, 3 through 4, this afternoon. And read that aloud and then say out loud, I want to be planted with Jesus or say I want to be planted in the desert. This is a next step rooted in honesty. If you don't want Jesus, just say that. Acknowledge where your direction is going. If you want them, then say that out loud. Some of you are playing church. And it may be a good idea to just go ahead and acknowledge that your life screams, I want to be planted in a desert. It's not a bad idea to be honest with yourself so that God can do work only he can do inside of you. But I know without this kind of honesty, you can't move forward, and I can't either. And this next step is for me just as much as it is for you. And so we do this together, and I would say that this next step, along with all of these scriptures taken together, are the way you and I assess where are you planted. Because we will not be a Psalm 1 people if we are planted in a desert, in the wastelands where no one lives. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for your mercy by giving us your word. Thank you for sending Jesus to live among us and to make promises and claims that he could deliver on. Thank you for Jesus who is the bread of life, the true vine who is the source of living water. For whoever is here today that is running from your son Jesus, 
Would you woo them to the heart of your son? Would you have your word activate something inside of them that they haven't felt for a very long time? And would you draw them close to the source of living water? For those of us who are drawing near to Christ, would you have compassion on us as we mess up and gossip and critique and yell and we lie? Would you have that same grace that brought us to your son, would you have it cover us even this week, even today? We want to thank you for your graciousness. Thank you that because of Jesus, everything can change. From the way we talk to the way we interact in our bedrooms, our kitchens, and in the workplace. Would you have mercy on us? We are grateful for you. And together we can say on this morning, with glad hearts, amen, amen.